Usually you see a lot of electronics in modern cars. You have plenty of different ECUs, electronic control units in cars, up to 250 ECUs. Well, there's our first wow right there. Wow. <laughs> Seems like today we're going from wow to know-how. From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Two hundred and fifty small computers in one car. It must be a nightmare to administer. What are they all for? One is for the radar sensors. Another is for the video cameras. The next is for parking. The body computer, the gateway controller, and so on and so forth. <laughs> Where it gets even more messy is when it comes to the software that's running on those ECUs. Obviously, each ECU comes with software on it. And that software today is very much specific to that specific ECU, to the hardware, the microcontroller it's using, etc. How to reduce this complexity and build a modern software stack for modern cars, that's our topic today. And Ansgar Lindwede will tell us all about it. Also, keep listening to meet one of the people who tirelessly write the world's largest encyclopedia. I'm Shuko. And I'm Jeff. Jeff, as an enterprise IT security professional, would you agree that open source is the biggest ongoing trend in software development? If we're in the domain of software-defined vehicle, absolutely. And in this case, open source is everywhere. I'd actually be surprised if there wasn't a single piece of open source code on your computer or your phone right now. We all use open source, no doubt. But have you ever open sourced your own work, for example? Have you contributed to an open source project? I am guilty of being one of those people who has used but not contributed. So I admit to this. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Well, I mean, if there are so many great projects out there, why start inventing a completely new wheel, right? I mean, that is generally the principle behind the idea, <laughs> but yes. I could bring a little more to the table, you know. <laughs> But somehow it seems more natural to people, to me at least, uh, to be protective of their code or their knowledge rather than giving it away for free or rather making it accessible. And you know what? Let's, let's test this. I know someone who has kept some knowledge to themselves okay. uh, that, that I would like to access. Oh, now I'm curious. So let me, let me give her a call real quick. Hello? Hello, Milena. Welcome back on From Know How to Wow. Jeff, hi. Um, so I assume you guys are recording the next episode. Bonjour, Milena. Ah, hi, Shuko. Mm -hmm. Yep, I can see what you guys are doing. Yes, indeed. <laughs> And uh, something came up, so I wanted to just quickly check with you. Mm -hmm. You know, I still remember that cheesecake that you made once. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think I could have that recipe? The recipe. Oh, I don't know, Jeff. I mean, you know I'm quite fond of you, don't you? But that's a recipe that's not exactly in the public domain, yeah, to be honest. Melina, it's so good. Are you sure you just can't tell me what... It's a uh, family recipe, Jeff. You're recording this right now for the podcast? So, 
I not only share it with you, but potentially the whole world could hear it. Yes, exactly. Come on, spread some happiness, Milena. <laughs> what kind of ambush is that? I, Jeff, really, I got the recipe from my mom. And besides, I only have it written down on a piece of paper. I, I really don't know if, if she'd appreciate me sharing it. At least I have to ask her permission. Okay, well, I tried. But maybe bake it again next time I'm coming to Germany? Ah, that sounds like a deal. Yep, will do. Sorry, Jeff. It was nice talking to you, though. Well, thank you for that. Talk to you later. <laughs> Au revoir. Bye-bye. I can relate. It's like a precious family heirloom that you feel very protective about. Exactly. Open sourcing is not necessarily in a lot of people's DNA. It's a mindset that you really need to adopt. And that's what's currently happening in the automotive industry. I don't like this analogy too much, but everybody is talking about that we are turning cars into smartphones. So that's Ansgar Lindwede. He is Director, Software Defined Vehicle, or SDV, Ecosystem Development at ETAS, which is a Bosch subsidiary. And he happens to be a very, very, very nice and direct colleague of mine as well. I was just going to say, Shuko, you need to remind our listeners that you're with ETAS now. Yes, I started a new job here in January. And I've learned a lot of fascinating things at ETAS. So I thought we should share some of them on the show. That sounds wonderful. So tell me more. What does Ansgar mean when he talks about turning cars into smartphones? Even if he doesn't like the analogy. He means that mostly from a developer perspective. When you write software for a car, you shouldn't need to figure out how to talk to all of the 250 ECUs that Ansgar mentioned in the intro of our show. Or you shouldn't have to deal with finding out where to find specific information. If you're looking for a GPS signal in OEM brand A, you'll find it at the different spot than, for example, in OEM brand B. OEMs are the different car manufacturers. Now, compare that to developing for smartphones. If you are developing an app for a smartphone, it's not required that you are a super expert in how does this, uh, I don't know, SOC, which whoever built into that smartphone is working, how that network adapters are working, how do you access data from your GPS sensors or gyro sensors, which you're having in a smartphone. You, you simply don't need to know how smartphone technology works deeply embedded. Right. There is an abstraction layer, a framework, which provides access to the sensor data, for instance. And this makes developing much more simple. So... If we would be able to abstract the software development for automotives, which nowadays is very much hardware specific, how can we abstract that away for the developer so that his life is becoming easier, so that he or she can focus on building innovation software, so application software, instead of doing all the, let's say, nitty-gritty, deeply embedded stuff, which he needs to be an expert in today and which he needs to do today because nobody is having this abstraction by hand yet. And that's the reason why reducing complexity for a developer makes sense. So to make it clear how difficult it has been to develop software for a car, let's make an example. Let's say there's a new podcast streaming app that everybody loves. And probably you want to listen to our colleague's excellent podcast called Let's Accelerate. 
Welcome to Let's Accelerate. My name is Michael Nichols. My name is Sara. My name is Manuel. And together with my colleague Luisa, we are very much looking forward to welcoming the guest of our today's episode. Nice. Good choice. Now, OEMs want their customers to enjoy this streaming service from the car's infotainment system. That's a quite good example you're giving because that's an example which went through the industry years back. Which means it's not entirely fictional. What you're going to hear is based on true events. The OEMs reached out to the developers of music and podcast apps and asked them if they could integrate something specific into their brand. And those developers of apps, which were very much used to deploy these apps on smartphones around the world, obviously were not interested in developing a specific application for a brand XYZ, and then they would be forced to maintain a variant of this app just for this one brand. And then not only that one brand came and asked if they can do so, but 30 brands came, which would then mean for them that they need to develop 30 different <laughs> variants of their app, which they then run, maintain, etc. does not make sense. So what that means is I don't necessarily need to be mad at the brand of my car that is making my favorite streaming app not available. It's an ecosystem topic that's, mm -hmm. that's so fractured and uh, that it, it's not making economic sense to support all the different systems. Exactly. Now for the infotainment system, a widespread solution has emerged that many manufacturers now have adopted. But that's just for infotainment apps. What Ansgar and his colleagues at ETAS, or my colleagues at ETAS, <laughs> and a whole emerging open source community are working on is making pretty much everything in the car accessible by software. For example, things like GPS positioning or the current speed of the car. Or is the trunk open or closed? Even what's the state of the windows? And then providing these signals to APIs, which then everybody can use, so that then in the future, if a developer is developing an application for a car, he can use one API to do so, which then would work for every band in the world if everybody would implement those APIs. And that's a big if. How do you get a standard to be widely adopted? The idea is to develop the standard with as many parties as possible involved from the beginning and to not make it a proprietary standard, but an open standard. And there we go, back on track talking about open source. And even though ETA's engineers are heavily involved, the standards are developed within the Eclipse Foundation. More specifically, it's SDV Working Group, which has dozens of members from across the industry. SDV, again, that's software-defined vehicle. And if you've never heard it before, I strongly recommend listening to our episode that we recorded at the Bosch Connected World in Berlin. Whoop, whoop. That one's all about software-defined vehicles. Among other things, we talked about what software-defined windscreen wipers will be like. Here's a quick outtake for you. Every manufacturer needs another specification. Yeah. One, for example, needs about 30 FPS, so wiping. In okay, a so what would, what would 30, what would that kind of sound like, do you think? Oh, yeah. That is very slow. Yeah, that is very slow. And I also hope that that machine doesn't sound like that. And, and no, it is. That doesn't really like, come to no. the Bosch quality. No, standard, no, no. Right? Okay. Not. This All is right. sounding like nothing. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Sounding yeah. like nothing. That's bad news for the DJ, but otherwise, oh. it's great. 
<laughs> that was a really fun show. I, I, it was a really fun show. It was. I, I keep getting really nice, nice memories of it. And as I said, that was our very first live podcast back in October at the Bosch Connected World. And it was really, really fun. Plus, we also have a deep dive episode where your voice avatar talks more about the work of the Eclipse Foundation too. And as usual, we've put the links in the show notes. So open source is supposed to come into cars. I'd be very interested to see that. But to be honest, I remain skeptical. Mm-hmm. I mean, the car industry is not exactly known for its openness. True. <laughs> and we have to include ourselves at Bosch here. Mm-hmm. Proprietary knowledge, after all, intellectual property, is an important part of our business models. You're absolutely right. And that is the status quo. But Anska says it's time for change. There's a value for everybody in not protecting their own IP, but opening that IP and share it with the community because the gain you're having developing that joint standard on things and not everybody is having its own standard. That's simply a mindset change, which is 100 degree opposite to what the industry is used to for the past 100 years. So I fully agree with you, Jeff, that it's probably not easy to convince this industry that open source is is a good idea. But on the other hand, open source has a great track record. In your world, I call it your world, the IT world, open source has proven that it has tons of benefits. Oh, that's that's absolutely clear. And I don't know where we were without open source, to be honest. Most web servers these days are running open source software, just as one example. And uh, from IT, open source mindset that Ansgar talked about, that's spread to many other sectors. I looked into it a little bit, and there's, of course, not only open source software, but there's also open source hardware. And there are also open source cookbooks and even open source architecture. So maybe you can try and find like a fake copy of Melina's cheesecake in your open source cookbook. That's that's not a bad idea. (laughs) But yes, indeed, it's really amazing. But to better understand the mindset... Let's go on a little bit of a tangent and talk to someone who has worked on an open platform for many years, someone who freely shares their knowledge with the whole world. I am BD2412 on Wikipedia. I have been a Wikipedia editor since 2005, and I am the third-ranked Wikipedian by number of edits made. BD2412 has made more than 2 million edits on Wikipedia, has touched more than 14% of all articles on the English Wikipedia, and has written thousands of Wikipedia articles. We're using their username instead of their real name and have altered their voice to protect their identity. Why is that? I have just had some experiences in the course of editing Wikipedia where, due to the fact that I'm sort of prominent as an editor, and have worked in some sensitive areas where I've picked up some fans in the real world who have tried to figure out who I am and tried to contact me through various routes. BD started to edit with Wikipedia in 2005 while attending law school, at the time still under their real name. I found it to be a very relaxing way to incorporate a lot of the things that I was learning by writing Wikipedia articles about them. And I really found it very early on to be 
a worthwhile project because we're putting all this information out there for free available consumption for the world. So I never, I never let up once I started. BD writes a lot about law and judges and justices, but when they need a real challenge, BD writes about broader topics. I particularly like the challenge where someone says, you can't write an article on this topic. It's sort of too amorphous or too broad. And in that kind of vein, I wrote the article on size, like the concept of size. Some things are bigger or smaller than other things. And some people were very skeptical that one could be written. So I wrote one. Let's see. Mm, There we go. Size. So size in general is the magnitude or dimensions of a thing. More specifically, geometrical size or spatial size can refer to linear dimensions, length, width, height, diameter, perimeter, area, or volume. Size can also be measured in the terms of mass, especially when assuming a density range. Yep. And then it goes on for a dozen paragraphs or so. And then right at the bottom, some sources and references. Exactly as you would expect from a Wikipedia article. (laughs) It is not necessarily that easy to write about because where are you going to find a lot of sources that really talk about what is size, what size means? So I love doing that, and I have a tremendous amount of fun doing that. Who would have thought that Wikipedia could be such fun? For sure there has to be something that keeps BD going. I mean, 18 years and counting on Wikipedia, there's got to be some kind of reward. Every day, I think I learn new things through Wikipedia, and I just enjoy the entire process of it. I'm building something, I'm creating something that's useful. It's tremendously fulfilling to write an article on some topic, and then you see now people are looking at this article, and they're linking to this article, and they're making the article grow. That last point is probably at the core of it. That's one of the principles of Open source, right? You're planting a seed, the others come and help it grow. Beautifully put, Shuko. Yes, exactly. That is the collaborative aspect of open source. But BD can also understand why it's hard to convey that, why it might be difficult to foster that mindset and convince people that it's a valuable idea. You know, I think Wikipedia has shown that something like this is possible. There's sort of an old an old saying that Wikipedia, in theory, it doesn't work. It only works in practice. It's like the bumblebee that allegedly shouldn't be able to fly, in theory, but does anyway. Well, I don't know if that is the best approach, if you want to build a business on top of it. But sure, some things might work better in practice than in theory. In any case, thanks for this behind-the-scenes of Wikipedia, Jeff, and BD2412. You are very welcome. We see there's some similarity between how articles are created on Wikipedia and how the standards for software-defined vehicles are created. Don't try to convene everyone in a room and have endless discussions trying to find the best approach, says Ansgar. Instead, just start writing something down. People just start with developing a technology which they believe is helpful. And then usually you see those communities and the developers in that communities like they are doing their votings by using their feeds. So that means wherever there's technology, which is reasonable to each and everyone, 
the developers will go and on the one hand side adopt it, on the other hand side maybe also contribute to it, extend it to the needs they have, and thereby you're not deriving a standard by defining the standard and then implementing the standard, but just code first, so you develop something and then it's becoming a quasi-standard just by everybody is using it. Of course, there are still discussions. Um, for example, which API should exist in a software-defined vehicle? But largely, consensus is reached by adopting the most useful of approaches. That makes sense. But they're not just developing standards, and they don't just define API endpoints and what certain messages should look like, right? They're also building software that implements that theoretical framework. Oh, absolutely. In the future, you'll not only have cars that speak the same language, but that are also running the same software. At least that is what Ansgar is working towards. Can you help me picture that a little better? In the traditional car architecture, as we already discussed, there's a lot of variety. Let's go back to the GPS signal. In one car, it can be found in one place, and it is formatted in one way. In the next car, it's in a different place and formatted completely differently. Now, what the open source community is building is software that collects those signals in only one place and formats them in a standardized way. So that software is not something that I, as a driver, would see in any way, right? No, it's software that doesn't have a user interface that you don't directly interact with as a driver or a passenger. And this is where Ansgar sees the biggest potential, in the middleware. And that sits between the hardware layer and the application software layer. Because middleware, in most of the cases, is technology which is non-differentiating. Everybody needs that technology, but you're not building better cars by having the better middleware. That basically means it's not setting you apart from a competitive standpoint. Not at all. So nobody's like, hey, uh, come to us because I have the better API for the GPS location. So that means if we would like to have any signal on that API level, there needs to be software within this middleware, which can read the signal specifications where to find which signal on, for example, a CAN bus of OEM brand A, and then read that signal specification from the OEM, pick that signal from that CAN bus, and then we are talking about data feeders. So data feed the signal to an API, which we are developing together with other communities as an open standard in this open source communities. Now, the million dollar question. How do you turn that into a business? Mm -hmm. Bosch and Etos are spending a lot of energy and resources on developer hours, mm -hmm. on the salary of the people like Ansgar, who are engaged in the open source community and actually write the open source code for that middleware. This is a really good question. You know, how are they going to bring that money back in when open source software is free, right? So first of all, I'd like to object to what you've just said, that open source software is free. <laughs> okay, uh, not free, but typically you can download it for free and you can install it for free and you can run it for free. Uh, that might be true, but... If you want to use open source software, different to you're buying a license of a proprietary software of a vendor XYZ, you usually don't have a liability 
promise of the vendor you're buying that software from. Oh, I think I know where this is going. There might be also companies in the world who say like, oh, I'm perfectly fine in taking the liability for that open source software because I know it very good, I tested it, etc. And they are solving these pains of adopters of open source software, obviously for a price. <laughs> and that's then the business potential also for companies who would like to be maintainers and supporters of open source on a professional commercial level. I don't think I'm revealing too much when I say that that's what ETAS is aiming for. Becoming the go-to shop for support, maintenance, and service when it comes to open source middleware in cars. It does not mean that ETAS is a 100% open source based company in the future. But it's something we add to our existing portfolio. Because obviously we have a lot of experience with what it means to run software on cars. Being able to take all the different components, integrate it to one meaningful technology stack, being able to maintain that stack, being able to add service to that stack, that is where you can then differentiate, right? Right. It's not like a smartphone on wheels, and it probably never will be. Exactly. And also, a lot of specific safety and security considerations and regulations also come into play when you're deploying software on a vehicle. You really have to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, anybody can run their own email server. The software is free and it's open source. Go for it. But it's much more difficult to get it right. And mm -hmm. so most people let other companies handle their email for them. I think that explains it quite well, yeah. I was just thinking about another metaphor. What does all of this mean for Milena's mom's cheesecake recipe? Mmm, cheesecake. Maybe it wouldn't hurt to open source it after all. Maybe not knowing the recipe of the best cheesecake in the world is what differentiates in the market, but being the one who's preparing it in the best way. Because obviously you can do a lot of things wrong if you're preparing cheesecakes. So my grandma was doing cheesecakes, and I believe even <laughs> if I got the recipe of my grandma, I would not be able to prepare it in the same way like she did because she has so much experience in preparing the dish. <laughs> Excellent. I'll uh, have to explain that to Milena, <laughs> and I can ensure her that I'm a terrible baker. Whether she'll believe you or not is one thing, but I get it. You'd rather use the baking service of other people. Yes, I <laughs> am happy to pay good money for that. <laughs> so what do you think, Jeff? Standardized APIs in cars, open source middleware. That will be a game changer, no? No doubt about it. I can only imagine the potential this will actually bring in new applications that will be built on top of it. I mean, when a software can easily access all the data in the car without having to go through, as we said, 250 different ECUs, <laughs> and it's easy to install and update that software, that's an enormous opportunity for the market. And it's not only an enormous opportunity for the market, it's a huge opportunity for developers and engineers whose lives will become much easier but also for consumers who will see more, better, and new applications. Shall we close out the show for the day? It's a shame, but yes, I think, I think it's a wrap for today. So to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and please recommend us to your tech-minded friends. Or leave a review. You know the drill. Like and share. Thank you, Shuho. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Talk to you very soon, Jeff. Do you think there's any good cheesecake recipes on Wikipedia? <laughs> 
from know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Hey, this is Jeff's voice avatar. You want to dive deeper into the topic? I will have a closer look at how those APIs work and what you can do with them. Watch out for the upcoming deep dive episode on June 28th.